Hi, this is Alan Leeds, former tour director for James Brown, Prince, and D'Angelo, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast. History in five songs with host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Hello once again. Welcome back to what is hopefully another thought-provoking episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good folks at Pantheon. Pleased, as always, to be part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. We are available on Spotify, iTunes, and over 40 other podcast platforms. All right, I had to actually check that I hadn't done an episode on this before because it's a perfect episode, the kind of thing that I thought I would have done early on. Um, So this is episode 54. We're going to call this Heavy Metal, Not Us. Okay, so the idea here is um, we are going to be talking about the concept of uh, bands that aren't particularly heavy metal bands that for some reason end up making amazing, amazing heavy metal when they get to it, and possibly why that might happen. Um, you know, the idea to do this, I've always thought uh, this concept and, and debated it with a lot of people, but I was actually on earlier today on Pete Pardo's um, Sea of Tranquility, and we were doing a deep cut dive on Blue Oyster Cult, and it kind of rambled around to this, uh, this topic, and he said this was a great example of that. And I was thinking... Is it a great example of that? It's definitely an example of that. Um, but I but I kind of got to thinking that Blue Oyster Cult is a complicated case, but there are other bands that are even better examples of this. So I thought, you know what? That will be my next episode. Um, so this is how this came about. Now, I want to give you a little history on this idea. So, you know, essentially, we're not we're not here to uh, to debate bands like, uh, for example, there are bands throughout heavy metal history uh, or whatever, rock history, that don't consider themselves heavy metal bands that do a lot of heavy metal. You know, classic example is when Lemmy gets up there uh, live and says, uh, we are Motorhead, we play rock and roll, right? A little more on Lemmy later, maybe, um, but also Black Sabbath, you know, they talk about, oh, we're a blues band and Deep Purple, you know, says various things, um, you know, we're a, we're a jam band, we're a progressive rock band, we're a jazz rock band, we're a jazz band, whatever, um, you know, whatever sort of floats their boat, but they usually don't say we're a heavy metal band. Um, now more on some of these examples later on, but to go right back to the beginning, um, you know, it's interesting that this concept, you know, my, my good friend, Ralph Chapman, you know, we always have these debates over at Banger, uh, or we did when we were there in these meetings to, to, to put together these shows and stuff where, where it's always like the Beatles did everything first. Well, so here's an example of this happening. So, so in a way, Helter Skelter is an example of kind of doing this first. And I interviewed Paul McCartney um, back for my Queen book a while ago. And after we were done talking about Queen, you know, I, I asked him a few other things. And uh, we were talking about Helter Skelter, and this is what he told me. I think that that 
what heavy metal came out of was a desire to rock and to rock big and dirty and loud. And for that, you don't have to have rules. You talk about what made us do Helter Skelter. It was just a desire to rock dirty and loud. And when I listen to it now, I think, oh gosh, I thought it was louder and dirtier than that because times have changed, you know, but I think it's just that. If you're in a rock and roll band and your soul is anchored uh, in the sea of rock and roll and you want to do it, you want to participate to your fullest. And sometimes that means being dirty, being loud. You know, guitarists are famous for turning up to 11 and that's a very understandable desire. I mean, I still now, when I get uh, with my band and we're at a sound check, just strapping on my electric guitar and kicking in a pedal, turning it up, that's the spirit that kind of goes through rock and roll. You know, it's a thrill. Anyone who has ever owned an electric guitar and put it through an amp knows that thrill. So I think that's where it all came from, the desire to just thrash it out. That's why we did Helter Skelter. Now, this quote doesn't include kind of the backstory about Pete Townsend saying, you know, we're the loudest, heaviest band in the world, and Paul McCartney's natural, um, you know, uh, competitive nature to to compete with uh, with the Who, and and this is kind of um, this narrative that they were trying to out heavy the Who. Um, so here's a band who's not a heavy metal band by any stretch of the imagination, just saying, right, you want heavy metal? Let's let's give you some heavy metal. I seem to recall, I might have talked about this as another, in another episode, but but excuse me, uh, yeah. in that uh, pursuit, because uh, some of these bands that we're going to talk about here, I have talked about in other episodes, but I'm going to be talking about specific, specific to this concept. Um, so hopefully it will be a, uh, you know, a different dynamic uh, when we're talking about these bands. Now, one other quote before we get to our first one. This one even more uh, in focus uh, puts together... Um, this concept. So this is from Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy, and I've always loved this quote, um, and we're going to include Thin Lizzy later on, but we're not going to do this song. Um, uh, in honor of, uh, basically, Scott Gorham and Thin Lizzy, we're going to include Thin Lizzy, but they fit perfectly anyway. So um, we were talking about Angel of Death, uh, which is, a, which is a, a very heavy metal song on the Renegade album from 1981. He says, yeah, absolutely. Um uh, calling one of their songs. We never, uh, we never ever put ourselves in the metal stakes. We always consider ourselves a hard rock band, which to me just entails a little bit more on the songwriting side rather than just heavy metal guitar riffs going constantly through all the songs. But yeah, we did not want to go down the metal road. To us, the metal thing, and I don't mean this as any disrespect to any of the guys, but it seemed a little corny to us, so we tried to avoid that side of it. And plus, we knew that there were a lot of guys out there that did that kind of genre well. But it was just one of those tracks where we recorded it, listened back to it, and for a time there, it wasn't one of our favorites. But yeah, if anybody actually called us heavy metal, we would actually jump all over them and the correction would start there. You know, we considered ourselves an absolute hard rock band, but definitely not a metal band. The difference between the two genres, to be a metal band, it all depends on the riff, you know, the drum groove and the guitar riff. Whereas with hard rock, it's all about the groove and the lyrics and the melody of the song. And that's why we went out of our way to explain that we are not a heavy metal or, or we are a rock band. And then Phil Linnett said, uh, that's one of the facets of, uh, you know what? I was just told, um, interesting side note by one of the listeners, I always said Phil Linnett for years and years and years. And then I was corrected and said Phil Linnett for years and years and years. And now I've been corrected again with a little bit of proof that it is, in fact, Phil Linnett. Um, because he says that Phil used to say when he was correcting people, he would say, Linnett, why not? Um, so there you go. So I'm going to I'm going to try keep saying Phil Linet from now on. So Phil Linet said that's one of the facets of Thin Lizzy 
that has kept us one step away from your regular heavy metal band. That's why I try to use the words hard rock. Heavy metal is a riff made into a song, whereas in Thin Lizzy we have a song and add the riffs and a lot more thought goes into the lyrics. So exactly like Phil and Scott completely, um, you know, uh, perfectly in perfect detail um, outline this idea and why some of these bands... Who, as a kid, I was always frustrated enough that they weren't doing enough heavy metal. But why some of these bands did some amazing, amazing heavy metal type songs, um, but they weren't a heavy metal band. And possibly, well, it is it is this motivation that you just heard out of Phil and Scott. But possibly it's also, I have this idea, that it's also because they don't know the rules of heavy metal. So they don't have any rules. So they are making this music with these big riffs fresh of mind and enthusiastic without rules and not having done it over and over and over again. So something really fresh and creative and foreign and alien comes out. Um, so that's kind of uh, that's kind of the idea. So let's get into our first one and we'll discuss each of these as we go and uh, and the different slightly different dynamic to each of these five, how they relate to this uh, this concept. Take a listen to this. This is Led Zeppelin with good times, bad times. No matter. All right, everybody knows that band and that song, of course. Uh, but uh, I wanted to include this because if the Beatles aren't the first, and uh, you know, I would argue that Beatles, you know, it was a, it was a little more like um, I mean, they're doing what we're saying, but it's a little more accidental in that they didn't keep going back to the well ever, essentially. Um, you know, there's a few heavy songs as as we go on uh, with the Beatles. She's so heavy, and uh, what's what else? Why don't we do it in the road back in the USSR? Whatever. But um, anyways. Um, Led Zeppelin was one of these bands that had a pattern of heaviness throughout their uh, their eight records. It's eight, I believe, um, plus Coda, right? Um, but uh, essentially, um, they are the perfect example of kind of the first uh, the template of a band that would do this all the time. And proof um, that this idea about, you know, this uh, ambivalence towards heavy metal, Robert Plant, and Jimmy Page would both kind of get on people's uh, backs when when they would get called heavy metal, and they say, "No, no, we're we're not that. We're way more than that." And you know, of course, when you're way more than that, um, that means you're doing less heavy metal. So it's not it's not that you're better because an album is still only forty minutes long. It means you're doing less of something if you're doing a bunch of other things there. And that that always bothered me. I know I brought that up in a previous episode, but of course they have the folky stuff and the bluesy stuff and the proggy stuff and long songs and short songs. But I wanted to go right back to the first album, not the heaviest song in the world, of course, but an example of this concept um, that uh, that here they are kind of inventing something fresh and new and bold, and they're enthusiastic about. It. it is something different. Obviously, I could have played Communication Breakdown, but I think I did that in a previous episode. So I'm trying not to play uh, the same songs uh, as we go along as well. So there you go. January 12th, 1969. This is the first example, I, th- I feel, essentially, of a band in this world. I mean, you could you could put Jimi Hendrix in this world, too, I suppose. Um, you know, and kind of, you know, this brings up a point. It, it's kind of any band you could discuss in this realm, you could discuss any band that has 
two-fifths to one-fifth to one-quarter of their catalog, one-third of their catalog heavy. And then you could say, okay, did they absolutely excel at this and do something amazing with it? Um, yes, some did, some didn't. I arguably about half. Led Zeppelin actually, to bring up a point, just to rag on Led Zeppelin a little bit, I don't think they were particularly amazing, amazing, amazing at heavy metal when they decided to do it. So there's a little bit of a uh, a, uh, a negative on uh, on this first choice, but of course they are they are one of the first at a lot of different things. They are first, but I would say they're not necessarily the best. I'm saving the best. I definitely have a best in this department. Um, see if you agree with me. Um, okay, so the next one. Um, I wanted to call I wanted to call Led Zeppelin the first. I wanted to call Deep Purple the most incredulous um, because take a listen to this first of all. So this is a uh, Deep Purple with Bloodsucker. All right, so I don't want to talk about this one too much because, again, I think I might have talked about some of this uh, before in other episodes. But Deep Purple are definitely one of these bands where Ian Gillen and Roger Glover and Ian Pace, um, to some extent, get, you know, um, will disagree with people when they're called a heavy metal band. They want to be considered more. They want to be considered more upscale than heavy metal. They're a jam band. They can improvise, right? Oh, we're improvisers. So they, they can jam. They're a jazzy band. Oh, we, we learn from the jazz greats and all this stuff, right? They're a blues band. They learn from the blues. Um, you know, anything but heavy metal. We're a progressive rock band. And and they are all these things, and they could think outside of the box, but they made lots and lots and lots of heavy metal along the way. And, you know, it's the, the most ridiculous thing is, is if they could say that in the face of the heaviest record from all of 1970, heavier than the two Black Sabbath albums from 1970, I would argue, in rock, which is just heavy right the way through except for Child in Time. And obviously this song is crazy heavy as well. Um, you know, and, and as I've told you before, um, mentioned on this show, and as I've, you know, interviewed these guys many times over the years, I, I often kind of get around to this and try to get a better answer out of them. But they always said that, oh, the, I, the, the blueprint on that album was if it wasn't exciting, it didn't go on the album. They would use this word exciting, anything but heavy metal, right? So, so it's crazy, incredulous that they're not even considering themselves a heavy metal band at this time. Does bring up another point, though. Uh, don't want to go too much into it, but of course, the term heavy metal didn't really exist at this time. It's a complicated story how it comes up. Maybe we've got an episode on that at some point, but it comes up in dribs and drabs, uh, you know, little trace elements along the way. One critical mention it, but not about a heavy metal album. Another critical mention it. It is about a heavy metal album. Then it'll start getting talked about in the press. So it's kind of a ramp up through Steppenwolf through 1970, 71, 73, 75. There's these landmark. Uh, uh, you know, things along the way. But at this point, 
you know, a term used was underground music, acid rock, right? There, there's two old terms that aren't even used anymore. Um, progressive rock uh, was, was kind of like, uh, you know, a new thing past underground rock. Uh, and then hard rock. Hard rock was just a little, little hazier of a thing that could have been used. But heavy metal. So granted, you know, in 1970, uh, we can excuse them for not calling themselves a heavy metal band. But boy, we're Deep Purple, a heavy metal band in 1970. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back. Okay, back again here on History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff. We are calling this uh, episode 54, Heavy Metal, Not Us. Um, take a listen to this. This is the one I call the best example of this entire concept. This is Queen with Modern Times Rock and Roll. <laughs> All right, so what I think about Queen is is they are the perfect example, the best example of this because uh, of a couple of things. They were heavy metal, not particularly, particularly often, but when they were heavy metal, they were absolutely the heaviest band on the planet. Certain things coalesce, conspire um, to make certain things about Queen when they are heavy metal even heavier than Black Sabbath uh, in the 70s, uh, which is probably your heaviest metal band, you know, band of the 70s, right? Um, but, uh, but you listen to modern times rock and roll. So they could be speedy. They could be riffy. This, this production acumen that they have, you know, working with Roy Thomas Baker and whatnot. Um, Brian May's uh, guitar sound, the lurching, the noises he, he puts in things. Um, you know, and this is one sung by Roger Taylor. Um, you know, not, not the heaviest metal voice. I mean, they don't have a heavy metal voice in the band. But this song is so incredibly heavy metal, as is Stone Cold Crazy. Uh, covered by Metallica, as is later on Sheer Heart Attack, which was considered a response to punk, but it was recorded so incredibly distorted and heavy metal and just just laid and showered with, you know, electric sparks of guitars that it is one of the heaviest things. Uh, and, you know, that's way up into 1977 um, on News of the World, which is not not nearly a heavy metal album. I mean, there's some other heavy stuff on it. But you know, you think of ogre ogre battle as well with it with the reverse, um, you know, the recording in reverse and and just the heaviness of that riff, uh, and you know the focus on guitars and 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 stripping back or fading back on the volume on the drums. That's another technique Queen used. You know, really stick the guitars up front. So Queen is a perfect perfect example. They are trying so many things. Their heads are dizzy with ideas. They have so much creativity. They they eventually end up hating each other because they all want their songs on the albums and they're all so creative guys. Um, but then they so they fought. A, fought about this a lot but they have so many different directions they want to do on any album but when they do conspire to make heavy metal it's fresh it's enthusiastic they don't have any rules um they don't know what they're doing uh but they do it so amazing amazingly well it's it's like the the evil elves of uh of uh Irish folklore, Icelandic folklore, uh, are conspiring with them um, to make the just the most amazing heavy metal possible. All right, not to belabor a point. Let's move on. Take a listen to this. This is Thin Lizzy with Bad Reputation. <laughs> 
Right, so here's this example. Scott totally explained how their how their heads work, how their minds work. They thought heavy metal was cheesy. They didn't want to do it all the time. Uh, and if they if they did it, they wanted to do it right. Here's an example of them doing it right. This record, Bad Reputation, issued September 12th, 1977, has uh, has this song on it. It has um, it has Opium Trail, another great weird weird heavy metal song. But basically, they have they touch down, you know, Ballad of a Hard Man and uh, Black Boys on the Corner, super heavy song early on. Uh, Emerald, um, Johnny the Fox has the likes of uh, Massacre um, and and the Johnny the Fox song. Rocky, uh, you got this. Chinatown's got some super heavy stuff on it. Um, Killing of the Buffalo, uh, Genocide, Killing of the Buffalo. Uh, what do we got? Sugar Blues. We talked about Angel of Death. Uh, most see most of th- most of Thunder and Lightning is pretty heavy metal. Yet it's not my favorite Thin Lizzy album, and it is considered a little on the cheesy side, a little bit, right? Um, just a tiny, tiny bit, right? A little bit like I don't like the title track very much. I don't like Cold Sweat very much. Um, so, so you know, when they fall into, uh, you know, even they could fall into, um, you know, granted there was a lot of drugs going on at that time, but even when they, they, they can fall into the trap of having a song that's too much about the riff and not about the song first and packing in the riffs the way Scott Gorham explained it to us. So that's why Bad Reputation is such a magnificent and gorgeous song. Um, Basically, Thin Lizzy, great example of a band that when they do heavy metal, it's magical, magical, magical. Um, now, so this is interesting. So at this point, um, you know, I wanted to mention that you could go back uh, to hear, um, you know, a, a sort of discussion that is elliptical around some of these bands and some of these concepts on uh, episode 38, which was about second wave European heavy metal, and episode 40, which was about second wave U.S. heavy metal. So there was, there was a, you know, I was discussing this block of bands that come after the original masters, uh, and a lot of them kind of fall into this uh, this pattern, this catalog, where they would do various things, but when they did heavy metal, it was amazing. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure Aerosmith was in that that episode. But again, Aerosmith could could make incredible, incredible heavy metal because they were coming from a blues world and a whole different world. They weren't paying attention to Black Sabbath. So, but when they did something like uh, Round and Round or uh, Nobody's Fault, or Rats in the Cellar, or Draw the Line, or Bright Light Fright. Um, it was just kind of different sounding. Um, so there, there's a good example. Um, but yeah, so I, I, at this point, I wanted to mention that because uh, for, my, for this slot, I did kind of switch out at the last minute UFO, which is kind of an example in this realm as well. Um, half their catalog is, heavy, well, maybe even more than half is, is pretty heavy metal, but they approached it from this song zone, this uh, this storytelling Bruce Springsteen slash Phil Linet uh, zone from Phil Mogg. Um, so so there's a sturdiness of song, whether it was from Paul Chapman or or um, Michael Schenker or indeed Pete Way. Um, there was a sturdiness of song there first, but there was also riffing going on. Although granted, obviously here here's almost a good case in point. 
Paul Chapman is the songwriter, you know, quote unquote, not so much the 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 riff guy. Michael Schenker is perhaps coming from a little more of the uh, of the riff thing, and that might be a little more of a of a European thing. All right. So, our last choice here on on uh, history and five songs with Martin Popoff, uh, episode fifty four, heavy metal, not us, is Ted Nugent. So take a listen to this: Ted Nugent, Snake Charmer. <laughs> All right, so in, in my little quote marks in my notes, I included Ted because I feel like uh, he uh, most colorfully has the most to say on the topic because people will bring up to him the concept of heavy metal. And you know Ted, he's got an opinion on any, on everything. Um, so he will talk about what to him is heavy metal and why he's not heavy metal. And he will usually couch it in terms where um, he'll try to be a little... Uh, what is it, provocative gaslighting, because, you know, in the back of his mind, he is often accused as being racist, right? Um, but he will, uh, this is where he will take uh, the opportunity to mention his black brothers, his, bl- you know, his black forebears, the masters who did it most, just to almost uh, add that secondary point that he wants to drive home that, A, I'm not racist, but B, Here's one reason I'm not racist. I, I worship and adore uh, all of this black music that I grew up on. And I bring that up also um, to make a point about Ted and Lemmy combined is that certain of these guys are old enough that they did grow up on original blues and original rock and roll from the 50s. And there were a lot of black artists in there. So so Ted, like I say, he has the most to say on the topic, right? Um because uh, because he's just an orator, uh, we know that um, he's a master locutor or or whatever they say. Um, but uh, but basically, he um, you know he he will go into this rant about um, heavy metal is too white for me, and he has a good point here. Um, heavy metal is kind of a white music, and one of the more specific things about it uh, when people talk about it as a white music is it it can be pretty locked to grid, because when you think of thrash, you think of those jackhammering double bass drums and things like that. So so one sort of um, criticism of heavy metal is it's not groovy enough. It is too locked to grid sometimes. And yes, modern heavy metal is just very technical and very, you know, they talk about desktop metal. It could be made on a computer and then off it is made on a computer so that is one of ted's big complaints about heavy metal that it is too white for him and and he will he will say oh yeah i i love i love my brothers in uh in metallica but it is uh you know that's not me or whatever right so he will talk about how he is um you know, he is next in lineage uh, from his uh, from the Black Masters and all this, and he will rattle off Chuck Berry and BB King and and Howlin' Wolf and all these guys. It's almost always the same sort of rant. Um, once you've heard it uh, two or three times, you don't really need to hear it again. But um, 
yeah, so I wanted to make the point that Ted is almost old enough that those were the original guys that lit a fire under his butt, and Lemmy even more so. I mean, Lemmy, Lemmy even talks about, um, you know, growing up on the music from the 50s in the 50s. Um, so, so it's kind of interesting. So this is where it does all come from, and... Um, and this is another reason why these guys can't consider themselves a heavy metal band. I mean, when Ted's thinking of heavy metal right now, you know, he's thinking of it uh, three, four, five generations uh, later than the stuff he grew up on. So it's very natural for him to not think of himself as a heavy metal artist. But, you know, I just played you Snake Charmer, very heavy metal song. Ted touches down on heavy metal all throughout uh, his career. You know, I thought his last few albums were very heavy, you know, especially Crave Man and Love Grenade. Um, but in the 70s, he was essentially one of the uh, one of the master anvil forgers of heavy metal. He was making a lot of it in terms of the heaviness of how heavy seventies is compared to the eighties, compared to the nineties, and so on. But Snake Charmer is one of these Venom Soup. You think of uh, Hammer Down on Free for All and the the nascent speed metal of Turn It Up. You think of Stranglehold, Stormtrooping, even just what the Doctor ordered. Uh, you know these are songs with a lot of riffs in them. Um, you think of Paralyzed, um, but I wanted to play you one, you know, very egregious example. So this is Snake Charmer from State of Shock, May 1979. You know, just a, just a straight, you know, up-tempo heavy metal song, really, is what it is. Um, so there you go. Ted does not think of himself as a heavy metal guy, but when he makes heavy metal, it's super special. And why is it super special? Well, maybe again, it's because he doesn't know the rules and, you know, the earlier on, I mean, I, I guess I didn't really make this point. And, you know, all of this stuff is from the 70s. Early on, there weren't a lot of rules yet. So these guys were the guys making the rules as he went along. So, you know, chicken and egg, which comes first. So so essentially, um, it's going to come out as super creative music, I guess, because this music uh, has not been created yet. They are creating it for the first time. And that's why that's another reason why it's sort of special. All right, so let's wrap it up there. Hope you liked this episode. Like I say, I can't believe I haven't done one on this before um, because I do talk about it with all my buddies quite often. It's it's kind of a neat concept. Um, there you go. Um, yeah, martinpopoff.com for all your book needs. We just got uh, M- uh, Empire of the Clouds, Iron Maiden in the 2000s in, so I've got all three Iron Maiden books in stock at the same time which is kind of rare um pretty soon this is going to fizzle out and i'm not going to reprint them i imagine i got both priest books the saxon book um so yeah a lot of stuff in stock some other things are a little bit out of stock but coming back in stock this is the stuff that i get uh, from my uh you know my my actual publisher uh in uh, you know who's doing a lot of my books weimer over in the uk um I'm getting a, a fresh uh, batch of uh, Agents of Fortune in the Blue Oyster Cult 1 plus the big Blue Oyster Cult hardcover plus Black Sabbath Born Again, which I got a few in and ran out of very, very quickly. So I'm getting that back. So yeah, PayPal button's there for everything international, Canada, U.S. Uh, go to our Facebook for History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff. You can email me at martinp at inforamp.net. Tell me what you think. Um, but yeah, this was a fun episode. I'm pretty happy with it. Um, talk to you again next time. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please. 
purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.